1: Terror attacks multiply like rabbits. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist and a psychiatrist. I'm here to talk about the things that are the top, (laughs) the top stories in terrorism for the week. And this week, there are so many, actually, I guess you'd have to say, um, that's a little more than a week, these past 10 days. Um, There has been more than usual in terms of terror attacks and counter-terror attacks, and you will hear what I mean um, by counter-attacks as we continue in the show. Now, first I'm going to mention Notre Dame, just to mention, because I did the whole show last week about Notre Dame, and by the way, no, I have still not uh, given up the ghost of thinking that, yes, indeed, it was a terror attack. I, I um, would recommend that you go to the previous uh, show about Notre Dame to hear all the reasons why I think, I thought, and I still think that indeed it is it was a terror attack, but that we may well not ever know that because there are so many political reasons why these so-called authorities would um, not want it to ever come out that it was a terror attack. Mainly because as I've said, it would start a, uh, a second French Revolution because of the climate in Paris in particular, but in France where um, many French people, most French people are fed up with all of the immigrants coming into the country. And um, if it turned out that it was, in fact, a radical Muslim, particularly if it was an immigrant, <laughs> radical Muslim, um, that would really um, get the country to be more in, in more chaos than it already is with the, the gilets jaunes, the yellow vests. Um, now, today, uh, they're actually, the the investigators were finally able to enter Notre Dame to start investigating the fire because they weren't able to do it before because the structure wasn't stable enough to allow people to go in and to start, you know, going to all of the areas where they need to look and to start trying to collect clues. Now, um, as you know, there and fortunately, there are three different agencies that are in there uh, looking for clues. I hope these agencies, um, at least, you know, with, with three different agencies, there's more of a chance that it'll be objective. But again, it depends on who's paying the agencies and who they are exactly, and whether they're from someplace other than um, France. I mean, I know there were like the FBI, and there were different. Uh, uh, agencies also sent in to help, but um, we'll, we'll have to see who's doing what. In any case, uh, as you know, some of the, there have been a number of reasons that causes of the fire that have been theorized, such as an electrical short circuit, a computer glitch, um, and a still burning cigarette that was tossed. Now, as well as others, all kinds, anything. And and by the way, any of the uh, possibilities that have been put out uh, as reasons for why the fire started, any of them could have been uh, perpetrated by a terrorist. And particularly, you know, my favorite, if, well, if you listened to the show last time, you know, my favorite, and that is that it was a worker from Le Bras Frere the company who is doing the renovations and the scaffolding and so on and now it turns out dun, 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 that um, some of the workers for this company have admitted to the police that they sometimes smoked cigarettes despite the fact that this was banned. Now of course the company is denying that, uh, well, they can't help that the, some of the workers already said that they smoke cigarettes, but they are denying that it, the fire was started by a cigarette. Now, there's no way for them to know that. There's no way for them to know it wasn't one of their workers. Uh, as I talked about in the previous show, there are a lot of times work um, immigrants do get into this kind of um, workman sort of job, and that is my best bet for what happened, that it wasn't an accident. So I will go on past Notre-Dame now to talk about the other attacks that have been spawned since then. Now, of course, you know the big one is the um, Sri Lanka attack on Easter. Now, again, the Notre-Dame attack was at the beginning of Holy Week. It was April 15th into the 16th, and then on Easter, April 21st, was the Sri Lanka attack. Another coincidence, right? Um, now the Sri Lanka attack. I'm not going to go into some of the uh, too much of the of the facts <laughs> because why why spoil it with facts? No, I'm not going to go into too many of the facts that you will already probably know. Um, but I, there are some interesting things that I would like to talk about. Um, First of all, as you probably know, the attack was on it was a coordinated attack on three churches during Easter services when of course the churches would be filled and three luxury hotels. There are varying accounts of how many were killed anywhere from 253 to 395 and including at least 42 foreigners and there are at least Uh, 500 who are injured. They have um, decided so far that there were seven suicide bombers. They were all Sri Lankan citizens um, and associated with the local militant Islamist group, NTJ. Now, there is a whole question still about uh, the foreign ties. ISIS has tried to claim responsibility, but it is unclear just whether this is true. Um, There are suspected foreign ties in this group of the suicide bombers and in this group NTJ, but it's not clear whether really, you know, it's not clear whether how much ISIS, if at all, uh, was involved in the, in the planning or, you know, the teaching of how to, how to build these bombs and so on. But, um, but certainly it is uh, believed that ISIS was an inspiration for what happened. Now, the prior attacks by this militant Islamist group, NTJ, were on Buddhists. So they don't have a history of having attacked churches. Um, First, the news came out saying that this uh, Sri Lanka attack was in retaliation for the New Zealand attack on the mosques. But then it turned out that they um, have discovered that this attack has been in the work for in the works for years um, before they planned it way before the New Zealand attack. Perhaps it's been in the works for as long as seven or eight years. Um, but you have to ask, why did they pick Easter Sunday? Now, of course, the obvious, the most obvious, is <laughs> that's when the most people would be in the churches. Either that or Christmas. Um, but also, you know, it was it related to the New Zealand attack on a mosque, or was it related to the um Notre Dame possible attack? Uh, also, of course, you know, ISIS likes to pick uh particular significant dates, and um, you know, so Easter would be that, just like the just like <laughs> the Notre Dame uh, incident fire, let's call it, which I'll, tr- I'll try not to say attack, although that, you know, I, as you know, I still uh, think of that that way. But the Notre Dame fire was a day after Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. So again, uh, that is a, would be a typical reason for ISIS to pick that date. Now, um, the Sri Lanka attack, one of the interesting things is that uh, there was a warning from India, 10 days before this attack, India interrogated a suspected ISIS, ISIS recruit, and this recruit told them that this attack was planned. And um, the someone from India told the police chief in Sri Lanka, who supposedly sent an advisory 10 days before the attack to security officials but somehow um, it got lost in the translation and never got to the senior politicians and I'll tell you why Um, this is all very 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 suspicious stay tuned when we come back I'll talk more about uh, Sri Lanka why it's suspicious who the masterminds were and then talk to you about um, some things that have happened since then
0: You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll.
1: Welcome back. Today we're talking about terror attacks multiplying like rabbits. And in particular, I'm gonna be talking about not only terror attacks, but the counter attacks that they have spawned. And all of this has been happening since April 15th, if you wanna count Notre Dame, um, and up until actually uh, yesterday. So um, there is a whole sort of um, uh, frenzy of terror attacks and counter attacks. Um, I was telling you, talking to you about the Sri Lanka attack, and one of the things that is so fascinating <laughs> is that um, the masterminds of this attack are two brothers, and they were amongst the seven suicide bombers. They each um, were um, suicide bombers. And um, one of them, um, Ilham Ahmed Ibrahim, set off a bomb at the Cinnamon Grand Hotel. But now he actually had been arrested and released in the past. And his brother, Imsaf Ahmed Ibrahim, was also a suicide bomber. They do not fit the typical... Uh, profile of a terrorist suicide bomber. Their father is a spice tycoon, a very wealthy spice merchant. And so they were very wealthy as well. And they were educated um, uh, outside of um, uh, Sri Lanka. They So they were wealthy, they were well-educated abroad. Um, and yet... Uh, they were, they were, you know, they were. Um, there are pictures of them in high society. Uh, you would think they had a, a very wonderful life, and that they would be the last people to perpetrate a terror attack, uh, because and to die, and a suicide, be a suicide bomber. In other words, die in the terror attack rather than continuing their life, which was a, a privileged life. So it just shows to go you um, that even people who are wealthy, well-educated abroad, um, and seemingly have everything to live for, can fall victim to terrorist propaganda. Now, one thing that I'm uh, interested in pursuing is finding out where they were educated abroad that's so far what all the reports are saying because uh, a lot of times people who come from middle eastern countries who later go on to become terrorists and were educated in the u.s (laughs) um, part of their reason for becoming terrorists or uh, part of their hatred for the U.S., I should say, and, and therefore a reason for becoming terrorists, is because of how they were treated when they were going to school in the U.S. A lot of times these people were, um, they were fi- found prejudice. They ran into um, other students uh, who treated them badly, who, you know... Um, Mocked them, who um, uh, you know were prejudiced against them, Islamophobia and so on, and didn't, or or even just excluded them. Uh, maybe they didn't, you know, they weren't violent to them uh, in all cases, but um, they might have bullied them, they might have excluded them, and all in all, they did not have a very positive experience um, going to school here then they go back to their country or they stay here, but oftentimes they go back to their country. And um, then yeah, they get, uh, they're easily, they they receive the propaganda of terrorists easily and see that as a way to get back at those people who had bullied them, excluded them and so on when they were going to school here. Now, I don't know yet, About where I, I'm not saying that the masterminds of Sri Lanka went to school in the U.S. I don't know where, where they went to school, other than it was abroad. It wasn't Sri Lanka, but um, you know that that is not something to take lightly. Um, it is something that should tell uh, American students, and, and not just students, but you know, tell us as Americans. And I know this is listen not just by Americans, but tell Americans. Um, to treat foreigners all foreigners um better and um because they're you know not just because there can be consequences later on they become terrorists but just in general because it's the right thing to do so um now the father mohammed yusuf ibrahim is being held in jail on aiding and abetting and possibly conspiracy to um to commit a terrorist act. Also, the rest of the Ibrahim family are being held in jail, plus over 70 suspects um, who are all Muslim. There are four women there, and most of these suspects are friends or family of the Ibrahim's. Um, and it turned out that the brothers were building, they had a, a factory in which they were Building these bombs, and um, no one, no one suspected them. And you know, of course, like uh, the one brother who was arrested and released. Um, clearly, his wealth and, and position p- uh, played a role in their releasing him. It's not clear what they had arrested him for, but but surely his status helped to get him released. And like most terror attacks. Um, many of these people who are now in jail or, and certainly many of the, uh, suicide bombers who are now dead were under surveillance in the past, but they weren't arrested. So what is really, really sad about this besides the hundreds of people killed and injured, um, really a huge terror attack besides, you know, the sheer numbers and, and, um, and you know the three churches and three hotels and um all of that um it's it's the fact that they it could have been stopped this could have been stopped if in fact um they had not just done surveillance and of course this is the way it is with so many terror attacks I mean the Orlando nightclub bomber for example he was under surveillance for a while and they dropped that lots of terror attacks the people the person or people who perpetrated the attack were under surveillance and there now I mean the problem now is that there are so many potential terrorists that there really aren't enough people to surveil them all um And so there's, you know, this, this whole issue of why the message didn't get transmitted to the people um, on the top, the senior politicians who could have made, you know, made changes um, to, you know, put the country on lockdown, um, uh, you know, um, arrested the people who were under surveillance. They could have done a number of things to prevent the attacks. Or at least prevent some of them, and yet because it didn't get all the way to where it had to go, that didn't happen. And I suspect, again, this is um, this is my opinion, but I suspect that this wealthy spice merchant family um, were able to bribe people on this. Uh, train of um, you know, like telephone, like uh, you know, this the message getting from one person to the other from India and getting lost in Sri Lanka. I would not be surprised if um, bribery played a role, and they and that even though this you know and this this message was in other words that the message was purposely lost. Well, when we come back, um, we, I will talk about about these, what I'm calling counter-terror attacks, um, spawned by the Notre Dame fire and the Sri Lanka attack. This is really interesting stuff because the point is that each attack spawns future attacks, um, not necessarily as big, and what I'm gonna tell you about you know, aren't huge attacks, and you may well not have heard about them, But they were, were, in my opinion, uh, in response to Notre Dame and Sri Lanka. So when we come back, we'll talk about the um, Sunnyvale, Northern California ramming attack on April 23rd. And on April 23rd, over to 24th, um, an attack, well, a wannabe attack of the Austin Muslim Community Center. And this is what I mean by by counter attacks. They weren't terrorists who perpetrated these attacks, but quite the opposite in response to the terror attacks perpetrated by real terrorists. So stay tuned.
0: You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Doctor Carol.
1: Today we're talking about terror attacks that multiply like rabbits and spawn counter attacks. And just um, humor me by by understanding that I call I'm still calling the Notre Dame fire a terror attack. That was April fifteenth and sixteenth then the Sri Lanka attack on Easter, April 21st, and now I'm gonna talk to you about an attack on April 23rd in Sunnyvale, which is in Northern California, a car ramming attack, which of course at first seemed like perhaps it was a terror attack, a lone wolf terror attack, but in fact, it turned out to be the opposite. Now, in this um, ramming attack, a man named Isaiah Peoples, 34 years old, um, took his car, a black Toyota, and you know, rammed into pedestrians on the street. He did not break. It was clearly, there were lots of witnesses. It was clearly uh, meant to be a ramming attack. He meant to run over these pedestrians Um, He injured eight people, and then he crashed his car, or his car crashed, into a tree. It's unclear whether he did that on purpose or not. Probably not, because he probably would have gone on to try to hit more people, but um, his car ended up in a tree. And um, he injured eight people. Um, he, He actually was in the army and he was he was in the Iraq war. Um, he was in the uh, army from at least part of the time, was 2005 to 2006. Um, during those years, he was in Afghanistan. He was also in Iraq. Um, he described what he did as, quote, he wrote this in, on social media, quote, brainstormed and planned details of the daily missions and with the commander, the daily missions with the commander. So he was obviously trained in um, committing, in brainstorming and planning attacks of missions. So he you know, was able to plan, although it doesn't really seem like he spent a lot of time in planning it. That's the thing with ramming attacks. You can kind of have an impulse and then do it. Now, um there are two things that are really sad and fascinating about Isaiah Peoples. One that he apparently had PTSD from his time in the war, the Iraq War, and two that he um, had was raised quite uh religious. Now, I'll start with that his being his childhood because um his, he was the son of a Christian pastor to start with. And um, I'll tell you some more things about why this seems to have been a counterattack to the Sri Lanka attack. In other words, um, and he had mental illness. And so, in other words, this Sri Lanka attack of churches on Easter Sunday um, threw him off kilter, through his mental illness presumably PTSD, off kilter, and perhaps got him to stop taking his meds or whatever, uh, uh, activated his symptoms, activated his psychosis, and um, caused him to retaliate in this way. Um, Yes, does it not make sense in a way that he that he ran over pedestrians these weren't terrorists who he ran over but it was you know he i mean much of what we know about him and his mental illness his PTSD does not make sense but but the point is that he was angry that christians were attacked and this is what he did this is what his perhaps voices this is what his illness told him to do he wanted to retaliate in some way so um That, um, his brother, uh, said, describes him, describes Isaiah as a kind-hearted Christian churchgoer. Uh, as I said, this, the son of a Christian pastor, they were raised very religiously. Um, and he, he, at the crash scene, after he was, um, running down pedestrians and then crashed into a tree he was heard by witnesses saying um praising jesus saying praised jesus repeating that and also repeatedly mumbling jesus i love you he also praised elijah you know this is kind of the counter counter attack to allahu akbar um he was very active, I mean, to this day, well, to the day that he uh, got arrested after he rammed the pedestrians, he was active in his church. I'll tell you some other things about him. First of all, after the crash, he didn't try to run away, he laid face down, waiting for the cops to arrest him. Um, sometimes, before this, sometimes his family would hear him say, um, in these bouts of psychosis, um, religious kinds of things like just saying out to the world, out maybe to to himself, to the voices he might have been hearing. He would say, I rebuke you, Satan. Satan, get out of here. Um, Sometimes he felt like the government was bugging his house that's actually a typical sign of uh, schizophrenia. So I, I, his diagnosis has not been clearly reported, but um, mostly PTSD has been reported. He was also um, in his mother's house. He was also seen to be rocking in a corner, um, and then when she asked him about it, she he would deny that anything was wrong. He's been in the uh, h- hospital. Different. His brother has given different reports or the reporters have written different things. Uh, He's been in the hospital from months to a year. His brother said that in in a lot of ways, though he's normal, like, and it's just these bouts that would come about. Presumably, um, I mean, his brother did talk about when he would lapse in his medication, he would have these bouts of of mental, well, his brother said, bouts of PTSD. Um, but otherwise, he liked movies, he liked exercise, he liked hanging out with friends and family. Uh, he doesn't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes. As I said, he was active in the church. Um, and and he um, was not unintelligent or not uneducated. Um, he actually, he went to college and he got a B.A. in accounting from uh, UC Sacramento. And he has worked, and he was actually working um, up until this ramming attack. He, as an accountant, um, there have been different jobs. He worked as a business analyst pricing specialist. And then um, it seemed like at the time of the attack, he was... um, working as a government contract auditor and um he told his mother that day right before he went out to commit this ramming attack he told his mother he seemed upset and his mother said um that he seemed like troubled like he was about to have another episode and um he told his mother that he was worried about his accounting job and he didn't want to do accounting anymore. But the company that he was working for said that he was still in good standing at the time of this attack. So right now he's facing eight counts of attempted murder. Um, another little intriguing uh, point. His car registration had been revoked because he paid, with it with a, he paid for it with a bad check So, you know, a puzzlement, but um, but clearly um, in my opinion, and I know you might be thinking I have uh, all these conspiracy theories, but sometimes conspiracy theories are actually conspiracies. But, um, and of course, all of these things are terribly tragic and sad. Uh, I, as a psychiatrist, however, and the terrorist therapist like to try to get to the bottom of it and try to understand what made people do what they did. Uh, So I definitely think that maybe unconsciously, I'm not saying that he was able to consciously put it together. I'm going to ram over pedestrians uh, because the terrorists uh, killed people in churches in Sri Lanka. I don't know that he was thinking of that consciously, but certainly in his uh, disturbed mind, uh, I do think that he um, that that was at least an unconscious reaction to it. And my fourth example today of terror attacks multiplying like rabbits and spawning counterattacks, so to speak, uh, is what happened overnight around midnight between April 23rd and 24th. And that is a man who uh, whose identity has not yet been found um, as of this time. He, a man tried to light... Uh, tried to commit arson on the Austin Muslim Community Center. He is seen on security video. You can find it on the internet. Uh, He, um, hopefully somebody will see that and be able to recognize him. He went about this by pouring gas on the Muslim Community Center and lighting a paper and throwing the paper at the building. And even though he was there for 20 or 30 minutes, he didn't, wasn't able, this was not a very effective attempt and he didn't set the building on fire or set anything on fire. Um, But in the morning, there was a gas odor and so they called the fire department and that's how they found all of this. They found, him, you know, saw the picture, they looked on the security cameras and that's how they found, you know, the picture of the man and so on. So again, um, let's just say (laughs) Notre Dame being attacked, Sri Lanka being attacked, both of those by terrorists again. um, Well, we know Sri Lanka was by terrorists. Uh, We don't know if it was ISIS or just the local group, but there probably was some help from outside, if only inspiration. And now um, a man with a severe mental illness, uh, responded to that by um, just acting out basically and committing a ramming attack, which is typical of terrorists, but he did it not being a terrorist. And then of course, uh, the man trying to hurt Muslims, because let's, a little cl- more clearly uh, a factor, more clearly related, You know, you can, you can see how that's related to anger about the terror attacks, the previous terror attacks of this month. So, bottom line, it's not just, you know, when one terror attack happens, that's not the end of it. There are more people who are likely to be inspired in a very twisted way and to hurt even more people than are killed and injured in the original attack. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient,
0: We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.